he cost his owner just $8,500. And now a horse named Conquest Mo Money has a chance to win the middle jewel of the Triple Crown. We'll talk with his owner, Tom McKenna, plus a look at the Preakness itself. Can anyone derail Always Dreaming? In the Gate is coming up next. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that pink podcatcher app that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Well, the big question this week is whether it's better to be the Kentucky Derby winner racing on short rest or be a non-Derby starter racing on full rest in the Preakness. Always Dreaming had five weeks between his Florida Derby win and the run for the Roses, but now has to turn around just two weeks later for the Triple Crown's middle jewel. There are a few Derby foes who will follow Always Dreaming to the Preakness. Second place looking at Lee the morning-line derby favorite Classic Empire, who finished fourth, and Gunavera, who came in eighth. But there are also some fresh faces, and one of those comes from an unlikely home for a classic race contender, New Mexico. Conquest, more money in front. I wrap in second, they're out by three lengths. And Conquest, more money, cut the corner better. I wrap a length and a half away. I wrap is ducking about a little bit. And Conquest, more money, under fierce riding for Jorge Carreño in front, holding I wrap. Oh, so Regal in third. Conquest, more money's got I measure, has got it won. And undefeated and heading to bigger and better. Conquest, more money is first. That win came in a race called the My Mad Bird Derby. Of course, My Mad Bird came from complete obscurity to win the 2009 Kentucky Derby at odds of 50 to 1. Conquest Mo Money isn't quite so unknown as he finished second behind Classic Empire in Arkansas. But his owner, Tom McKenna, made the difficult decision to rest Conquest Mo Money for the Preakness rather than try the Derby on three weeks of rest. Will Conquest Mo Money be the second New Mexico-based horse to win a Triple Crown race? For some thoughts, we welcome in his owner, Tom McKenna, here to win the gate. Take us through the decision to skip the Kentucky Derby and point instead for the Preakness. Very simple. In my opinion, in my opinion only, the Kentucky Derby is not where I want a three-year-old horse that has any potential at all. I love the pageant. I love the race. I love the history of it. I love everything about it. And it's something that Everybody in the racing industry dreams to achieve. So it's it's a hell of an honor to have a horse qualified for the Derby. But I don't believe you need 23-year-olds on a track at any given time in any horse race. And for that reason, and probably that reason alone, I've decided not to run more money. Had I had him in the race, then I could have. I probably would have scratched him because I wouldn't run him in those conditions. So I just don't think it's the right race for three. After all, he just came back from the Arkansas Derby. He had two weeks rest, and then you throw him in the dead gum Kentucky Derby with 20 horses. What the Kentucky Derby to me amounts to is who gets the best trip. It's not the best horse. 
Not only that, I mean, Conquest Mo Money didn't debut until right after New Year's. Now, the last Preakness winner not to start at age two was Curlin, which wasn't that long ago, 2007. Not exactly like the Derby, where, as you probably know, you have to go back to 1882 to find the last winner to debut at age three. Now, is that just a coincidence, or did the lack of experience factor into your decision? (laughs) Probably both, but let me explain it this way. Conquest Mo Money trains himself. I don't care who had the horse, whether he was a 6% trainer, a 20% trainer, a trainer that trains strictly graded stakes horses or the lowest claiming trainer in the country, the horse at this level makes the trainer. It doesn't, there's always an adage in this business, who does what? Does the horse make the trainer? Does the trainer make the horse? At a graded stakes level, I'm firmly convinced the horse makes the trainer. This horse trains himself. He's automatic. He's got a good head. One of the best I've ever seen. I've seen lots of horses, and I had quite a few. And this is just, it's a dream. It's a dream. I could take this horse and lead him to the paddock with my two-year-old grandson on the back of him. That's how calm he is. He's got a good head, and he just does it all right. Now, you originally, I know you've been around racing your entire life, around horses your entire life, but you originally got into this business in the early 2000s with the intent to raise, not to race. So how did you transition into racing horses? Very easy transition. I was losing my ass racing, and I thought, <laughs> there's gotta be a, I've got to be a better way, so I decided to race. So now we're still breeding, but I breed not the outside horses. I have my own stallions, breed them on theirs. And we take everything we raise and go to the track with it. You just can't make any, any money out here in this end of the country trying to raise horses. It just doesn't work. It's not like Kentucky. It's not like California. It's a different breed of cat. New Mexico, of course, is not the likeliest place to raise a triple crown race contender. It's also unlikely that such a contender would cost a grand total of $8,500 to buy. He came from the dispersal of Conquest Stable, co-owned by Ernie Samersky, who had also once, by the way, been a guest on this show. Anybody could have had Conquest Mo Money, theoretically. How did it work out for you? Well, I don't know. I think the good Lord looked after me because you had every agent in the country out there at that Conquest sale, and they didn't get the horse. So why did I get the horse? There's only one answer. Good Lord's looking after me. That's how I got it. I'm not going to tell you it's my genius because I'm a great horseman or anything else. My grandfather, who this Judson Air Stables is named for, always had a saying. He said, son, remember this. Any fool can throw his money at a horse, but very dead gum few people can buy one. You have a private trainer, Miguel Hernandez, and that in itself is amazing because... That's how it was, of course, decades ago, but mainly for the big outfits. You know, Calumet Farm had Ben Jones, and Green Tree Stable had John Gaver, and the Phippses still have Shug McGahee, but it doesn't happen often. What made you think a private trainer was the way to go? Because I tried it the other way with public trainers, and I still have a few horses with public trainers. But along the line... I knew what I wanted to do, and I wanted to do what was out-of-the-box training horses. 
And I knew the only way I was going to accomplish that was to get me someone, a complete novice that knew nothing really about the business and training my way so he could train the horses the way I wanted them. And that's what we've done with Miguel, and that's what he's done, and he's done an excellent job. What do you mean by your way? My way of training horses. My way of training horses is a hell of a lot different than most people. How so? I put a lot of mileage on horses. I I look at horses, I think, in a different way. I'm not going to tell you I'm revolutionizing the business. I've learned very little. I've still got a heck of a lot to learn. You're never going to quit learning in this business. But I wanted to do a lot of things that public trainers, because of constraints, either time or money or whatever it may be, can't do. And that's why I got a private trainer. Now, Miguel Hernandez had been a jockey riding in his native Mexico, then California and Arizona in the 90s and early 2000s with some success, but nothing huge. And then he suffered a broken back in a spill in 2013 in New Mexico, and his doctor told him he would never ride again. What made you immediately reach out to him to offer him a training job almost three years ago? Because I was looking for somebody that fit the criteria that I just described, and Miguel had ridden some stakes horses for me and had ridden quite a few of my horses. I also knew his wife, Graciela. They are quality people. I call them old-style people, okay? They've got all the old-style virtues of life. They're devoted to their family. They both have an excellent work ethic. I could see this in Miguel. And those are the reasons I picked them. They're just quality people. Tom McKenna, owner of Preakness Contender Conquest Mo Money, joins us here on In the Gate. So how would you describe your relationship with Miguel Hernandez? Wonderful, like a son. How involved are you with your horses in terms of how they're purchased, how they're trained, and when and where they raced? I know you've alluded to that, but... How much is that is you, and how much of it is Miguel? Well, obviously, Miguel's hands-on. He's the guy that's here every day, but uh, you're asking me the same question. Basically, you might ask Fletcher or Baffert or anybody else, the factory trainers. they got big barns, they got the quality horses, and they got a lot of assistant trainers. But I've got one trainer, okay? And you might call him my assistant trainer because I call the shots. I figure it out. I teach him what to do. I show him where to run the horses. I work the condition book with him, pick the jockeys with him, and I listen to his input because he's got final say. But I do it all. And Sandy the same way, my wife. She's very involved, does all the books. So we're totally hands-on. There's nothing we don't do. We're active in the breeding end of this thing out here. Uh, It's a lot different than it would be on the east or west coast, but very, very hands-on, and I like it. Now, you you live in Colorado, but not only base your farm in New Mexico, but you seem very intent on raising the profile of racing in that state. Where does that come from? My devotion to the business. I think the I think a racing game, I don't know what it is about racing. There's a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of business expertise that get involved in racing, and they seem to leave that all behind them. We have to develop this sport just like any other sport. 
just like a good example would be PBR, professional bull riding. It was nothing 10 years ago. Look what they've done now. Take NASCAR, same thing. We've got a sport that dates back to the origin of the United States. We've got some of the best facilities in the world across the nation, and we do nothing with it. We have no advertising program long-range across the nation. We really do nothing with a sport that we could grow and grow rapidly if we could get more people involved in it. So I'm going to do what little I can do out here in New Mexico to get as many people involved in horse races as I possibly can at whatever level it may be. I'd like to attract new owners. I think we need to do that nationally. But we're on the threshold now of a reviving economy, and we need to get the sport to the forefront of it, however we go about it. I know it may sound weird to say this, since we just talked a little while ago about a lack of experience for Conquest Mo Money, but he really hasn't had much of a break since his debut. Five starts in just over three months. He won his first three and then finished second in the Sunland Derby to Hentz, and then second in the Arkansas Derby to Classic Empire. Now, you've, as we mentioned, been around horses your entire life. What kind of signs is he giving you about freshness, energy level, and turnaround from race to race? That's the reason after we ran the Arkansas Derby, another reason I didn't go to the Kentucky Derby, I wanted to get a little rest. So we took him back up to Mary Reynolds. I had three works set up for him up there. But the key work was six furlongs, and I told Miguel at the time, and Carreño was riding the horse, I said, tell Jorge, just let him work easy, easy within himself, six, time it at six, and then on your watch, I want you to get him, and I want you to tell Carreño to hustle him from six to seven. And that's what we did. Anyway, he worked six and one fourteen handily, okay? So Carreño worked him on half to seven, and I told Jorge, call me as soon as you get off the horse. And he gave me a call. I said, okay, Jorge, well, how much horse did you have left when you got off that horse? He said, Mr. Tom, another seven. When he told me that, I can tell you this. That horse is on top of his farm right now. What would it mean to you if Conquest Mo Money were to win the Preakness? <laughs> what would it mean to anyone if... It would be fantastic for Sandy, for I, for Miguel, for Jorge, for the whole group, for racing in New Mexico. I think if he would win the Preakness, I think we've got Rick Ball, the general manager for Sunland Park, will be my guest at the Preakness, one of my guests. Anyway, Rick is a is a true gentleman and a true horse racing enthusiast. And we're hopeful that we can get another great stakes race in New Mexico at Sunland Park, which is the premier track in New Mexico. And hopefully we can get the mind of Barrett graded. But I think if Mo Money would accomplish this, it would it would be a big shot for New Mexico racing. Tom McKenna, the owner of Conquest Mo Money, Preakness coming up. Thank you so much for a few minutes, Mr. McKenna. It's been my pleasure. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, why would you spend $300 million on a track being used 12 days a year? Well, because one of those days is the Preakness. Don't go away. Welcome back to In the Gate. Just three times in the last 27 years has the Preakness winner not raced in the Kentucky Derby. Conquest Mo Money will try to change that. 
For a look at the race and surrounding stories, we welcome back to Win the Gate Childs Walker, who covers racing and other beats for the Baltimore Sun. So Preakness Day, Childs, is one of just 12 days of racing being conducted at Pimlico Racecourse this year. And, I mean, Pimlico's been around since 1870, making it the second oldest track in the country behind my favorite, Saratoga. But while Saratoga seems retro-chic, Pimlico, as you know, feels old. So much so that the Maryland Stadium authorities floated a $300 million plan to renovate it. That's $300 million for a place that will hold a total of 12 days of racing this year. Where does this situation stand? Well, that, that report that the Maryland Stadium Authority released in February was actually the first phase of a bigger study. So, so they're going to do a second phase where I think they're going to look at it in, in even more detail because one, one thing to understand about what they put out in February is that they were only looking at a scenario in which you would renovate the existing facility. And the folks at, at the Maryland Jockey Club, and, and, and of course, that's really the, the Stronach Group, which is, which is the parent company, um, feel like, honestly, you would have to you know, flatten the building and, and, and build something entirely new. And so, you know, the, the study that came out didn't even really get into that. So I think the presumption is that that would be even more expensive. So, you know, we might be talking at, at something even, even beyond $300 million. And of course, the, the giant question with that kind of price tag floating around is, is who the heck would pay for it? And I, I don't think that we have an answer. I mean, I, I think that would be an extremely hard sell for the state government, you know, at a, at a time when budgets are sort of perennially tight. I mean, I mean, I, I don't think that there are a lot of people who want to see the brickness move, but I think the idea that, you would get public money on that scale is, is probably somewhat far-fetched at this point. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's certainly the sense I get. And and the Stronic people have been pretty clear. They're not going to, you know, pay all or, or, or anywhere close to even most of, of, of that tag. I mean, they, they might kick in something, but, you know, they're not going to put, put the bill for it either. So we're left with this, sort of this question that's been out there forever, you know can't keep going forward with Pimlico, but nobody seems really thrilled at the idea of, of paying for a project on that scale. So, you know, at some point, is there a serious conversation about moving to the race to Laurel? Wouldn't surprise me. Well, oh, by the way, there's that. And there's also, has anybody brought up the idea of spending $300 million for essentially state-sponsored drunkenness? which is what that party in the infield essentially you know, is. It's, I, I haven't heard it couched that way because I think this is such a beloved event. I mean, people, people in this area have all grown up going to it as teenagers. I went to it as a teenager. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that people, <laughs> that, that people look at sort of the darker side of it all, all that often. I mean, we think of it as like the big late spring party in, in, in Baltimore. So I don't think you're going to see too many people couch it that way. I, th- I think it's more along the lines of, you know, as, as you said, are we going to pay that kind of money for a facility that, you know, in the best case scenario is maybe used a month and a half a year when, you know, that money could be going to all manner of programs to, to benefit Baltimore City, which, you know, certainly has its share of, of problems that, uh, that, that surpass horse racing. Two horses died during Preakness Day last year, not in the Preakness race itself, but two of the undercard races. We also know that these kinds of incidents happen during the year at most tracks, but it's another thing when casual fans are witnessing it. What lingering sentiment was there in Baltimore about that? You know, my sense was that it didn't carry forward as, as a story all that much. I mean, it was, it was sort of the story, I think, for the casual fan on Preakness Day, 
I mean, I know the the, the stories on 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 the desk uh, did far better traffic than my my game story on the on the race later <laughs> later in the day. So it's obviously something that that you know when people are confronted with it, it it resonates with them. But as you well know, I mean, I think the casual sports fan just isn't thinking of horse racing most days a year. And so once the immediate details and and you know sort of the shock of that faded into the background after after a few weeks, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily it's it's not something where people have been reaching out to me and asking me about it you know in the in the interim i expect there might be some talk about it on on preakness day this year and um and and of course you had the situation where um the trainer of the horse that died after the first race uh the the horse was named homeboy chris um was was subsequently uh hit hit for a medication violation although uh the maryland racing commission um made it clear that they didn't feel that the death was directly related to the medication violation that, that it, it was, it was, it was just happenstance. But I mean, that, that sort of pricked the story up again a couple of months later, but, but other than that, um, hasn't been a huge amount of talk about it here. Childs Walker of the Baltimore sun is our guest here on in the gate. Now, Todd Pletcher seems to be the major story around this year's preakness and understandably. So from your standpoint, covering this event, why do you think more hasn't been made of Always Dreaming's co-owner, Anthony Bonomo, the chairman of the New York Racing Association, being involved in a political scandal in New York State? I think it's because, I, I mean, I, I think most people still don't know about it. I mean, I, I think that that's probably something that people in New York have, have a grip on. But my sense of covering that horse in Kentucky, you know, even even after he had won, is that people didn't have a real clear grip on it and, and, and that, you know, we were maybe all going to really be educating ourselves about it in, in, in the weeks between the dirt, the derby and the Preakness. So, I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if next week when there are a spate of stories about, about that horse and the ownership group that you'll see a lot more talk about it. And certainly I think if you were to win at Pimlico and, and, and go on to, to Belmont with a shot at the triple crown, and, and obviously in that case, he would be going home to New York as well. My, my, we would see a lot more coverage of it and a lot more talk about it. But I think, I think it just hasn't hit that level where sort of the casual person understands it yet. And I think also you're in a situation where these ownership groups are so large and complex now that, that it's not as easy to zero in on, on an individual figure. And you have his, his friend, Vinny Viola, you know, the, the owner of the, the Florida Panthers, who's, who's, who's also, you know, at the top of that ownership group. And, um, you know, in a way he's, he's sort of a more public, um, charismatic figure. So I think he's probably gotten a little bit more of attention in, in, in the immediate wake of the race. Um, but I feel like these, these deeper looks at, at the ownership groups always come up more as, as the horse keeps winning. And, and, you know, especially if, as I said, you know, we're on the triple crown trail. So I guess that brings us to the final question. Nice little segue. Are we going to be talking about this horse in New York? And Always Dreaming has moved outside of State of Honor and is putting in a bid for the lead with just a half mile to go in the run for the Roses. Irish War Cry is poised on their outside and Battle of Midway is right there too. They're racing for the final furlong. Always dreaming, digging down deep on a two-length lead. Looking at Lee, wanders off the rail. Now with three lengths to make up and a 16th to go. But always dreaming is digging down and always dreaming is holding on. Looking at Lee, can't catch always dreaming, who's the 143rd winner of the Kentucky Derby. Was he simply the best horse in the Kentucky Derby or did Always Dreaming benefit from other factors like the rail trip and the demolition derby behind him? 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question that, that he had a pretty ideal trip in, in Kentucky. Um, I mean, as you said, he he did manage, I mean, because of the post position, I mean, he, he managed to completely avoid that madness on, on the outside. And, um, you know, things sort of set up perfectly with, with State of Honor going to the lead and, you know, giving him a, a perfect target to stalk. On the other hand, you know, he certainly showed something, you know, late, late in the race when, you know, you had – yeah, an Irish war cry come up on him, Battle of Midway was there, and then, then Lucky to Lee challenged him at the end. And, and, I mean, he, you know, when Velasquez asked him to go, I mean, he, he, he went, and, you know, not only did he open up a lead, he, he held it when he, was, when he was challenged. So, I mean, I think he was certainly impressive in, in that race. And, I mean, Todd has been um, extremely strong in his, you know, pronouncements of confidence in the horse. I mean, he, he, he said to us today that, you know, he, he had never been nearly as confident in another horse going into the Derby. And, the way the horse has come out of the Derby, you know, he continues to, to have that level of belief in him. So, I mean, I, I think we're talking about a genuinely talented horse. Um, on the other hand, you know, classic empire is, is going to be back, you know, to go against him again in, in the Preakness and classic empire, of course, was the horse who probably took it the worst in that, in that collision on, on the outside in the Derby. And he's also an extremely talented horse. And we've also seen he's, he's got some real fight in him. So, I mean, I think, I think from a pure racing standpoint, the idea of seeing those two go at it, you know, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if Classic Empire beat him, but I think those are the, the two best horses in the race. Well, as far as Todd Pletcher's comments go, they remind me of when the great WWE manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan, used to say, <laughs> you know, Shawn Michaels was the leader of the Rockers. Well, how do you know? He told me. So anyway, Childs Walker will be covering the Preakness for the Baltimore Sun. Thank you so much for a few minutes, sir. No problem. Good, good talk to you again. Our thanks to Childs Walker and to Dr. Tom McKenna. The same week Donald Trump invoked his favorite two words of the language when 86ing the FBI director, a similarly trigger-happy thoroughbred racing owner pushed the button on his random trainer selector. Kaleem Shah had a long-standing relationship with Bob Baffert, but late last year the owner ended their deal. So Mr. Shah abruptly moved some horses to Art Sherman while others walked over to Doug O'Neill. But less than half a year later, Mr. Shaw is again on the move. He fired both trainers and formed a new plan. The horses that had been with Baffert and then with O'Neill and Sherman are now stabled with Simon Callahan. Of course, the circumstances surrounding the move made by Trump are way different from the ones Kaleem Shah has made. But in the Internet era, where gratification must be instant, how long will anyone get to make the grade? You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on the Pink Podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.